welcome, welcome, welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. I am your host, Amanda Joy Loveland, and as always, I'm so thrilled that you are here, and I am excited to be back with you. It's been a little, been a few weeks now with the holidays and um, whatnot that I haven't been doing interviews, so I am excited to be back with you, and I'm really excited for this new year, 2022, holy cow. And I have had a lot of (laughs) new creations coming in, and I'm really excited for what this year is going to unfold. And speaking of that, I want to announce that I have my next retreat now open for registration. And this is March 17th through the 20th down in Springdale, Utah. And this retreat will be an unbind and unwind retreat that is only for women on this one. Sorry, guys, my next one, I promise I'll open it up for both. But this one felt like it got to be just women. And this retreat, it was really, really cool how this came in and what gets to be experienced. And one of the biggest pieces was you get to be held and you get to unwind and there gets to be that deep breath and that space for healing and for letting go. So we will have a chef and daily yoga, massage, and I am most likely, I'm toying with this right now, but I believe I'll be doing individual one-on-one sessions with me during the retreat. And this one will have a lot more space within it. So there'll be plenty of opportunities to really relax and rejuvenate under the red rocks of Zion's. And then also get to have experiences and meditations and different modalities and processes to really assist you in finding those places within that get to be unbound. So they are no longer controlling your life and weighing you down. How amazing does that sound? I only have 10 spots available and this retreat will fill up fast. So you'll want to head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash unbind to go snag your spot. Also, don't forget to grab my book. There's a beautiful relationship course, a mini course that you can access for free when you go to my website and take the quiz. My website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash quiz will guide you to answering some questions. And at the end, you'll get access to a free mini quiz or mini mini course that I've created. And this course, I don't care where you are in your relationship. There's always spaces to go even deeper within yourself and within your relationship. And this little freebie that I have provided is a really, really great experience. And one of the journeys in particular that I guide you through is a really beautiful process that I highly recommend every single one of you go in and and take. It's free. So why the hell not? Um, I will be launching a relationship course that is a 12-week relationship online course next month. And I'm really, really excited about that. If I do say so myself, it's quite a powerful, beautiful, um, transformative course. So yeah, make sure you're on my email list so that you are not missing out on any of the things that I'm creating and, and launching. And really, you guys, I feel like I'm here to assist people in unwinding those places that are asking to be unwind, unwound and unbound and really assisting you in fulfilling the purpose that you are choosing into in this life and having an epic, epic life. So if I can do that through these online courses or through retreats or through speaking or through this podcast, then I have fulfilled my purpose. And in that, it brings me so much joy. 
And speaking of Joy, I am really excited to announce to have my next guest on. Her name is Joy. And I was really honored to sit with her, to hold space for her, and to really get to hear her story and the courage that she had to to really shed those parts that were no longer serving and leaning into those places within that felt incongruent and asking the questions as far as why. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation that I had with Joy. Well, good morning, Joy. We're just diving. We're just going to dive in. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, good. And this morning I'm sitting with Joy Dunyan, which I love the name Joy because my middle name is Joy. So I'm like, oh, it's a kindred kindred spirit. Well, can I tell you a little bit about that? My mom named me Joy and she loves it. She's like, oh, you're my Joy. You make me so happy. But I am a very cynical person. I, <laughs> I am the least joyful person that I know. So it's oh. been kind of like, it's kind of like. People are like, oh, I love your name. And I'm like, oh, it's really not my personality. But (laughs) (laughs) right now it's not. That could change. You never know. That's right. That's right. Or it's a reminder to have more joy in your life. You never know. That's what I've been. Yeah. I've been clinging to that lately. So that's. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So we connected on a Facebook group. And, um, so I really don't know you and I had just kind of put the, the ask out there that I was looking for more people for the podcast and whoever felt like they wanted to share their story to, to, to say yes. And that's how we connected. And, and you bravely said yes. Cause I know this takes some courage to lean into the discomfort of Holy crap. And yes, it feels time to share my story. So I just, like we were speaking before, I just want to honor you for saying yes. And for leaning in. Cause I know it can be a little nerve wracking. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. So I ha- I don't know you at all. So I'm excited to hear your story. How were you born and raised in the Mormon religion? Yes. Yeah, we were born. My dad was going to BYU Law School. And so we were born. I was born and raised in Utah most of my life until about eighth grade. And then we moved to Gilbert, Arizona, <clears throat> which is kind of like an extension of Utah. <laughs> That's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very Mormon. And yeah, so it was, I don't think I had any really non-Mormon friends growing up, maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. So what was the turning point for you with, you know, if you grew up Mormon and I'm assuming, were you, were you married in the temple? How long, you know, how in long were you? Yeah. Yeah. Mike, I, during my faith crisis, at the peak of my faith crisis, my second son was on his mission, and mm. my first son had already served full time and was home, and you know, so and it was really hard. It was like we started; we were true believing our whole life. Temple recommend holders, just fully active, and I think it maybe started when we were called to be Trek Mon Pause, and mm. then kind of just progressed from there we had a couple of things that happened that kind of opened our eyes a little bit and made us question and I actually did try to go through the church I talked to my bishop and my state president and it was just a really negative negative shaming experience for me Hmm. so you feel like the trek experience was what kind of started some of you are kind of unwinding and asking do you mind sharing more no not at all I just it was it was kind of insignificant, but significant to me, I guess, in that they give you all this material to research before you're a mom and pa, right? They give you just 
all this stuff to read and delve into. And I did. I was excited to go. I loved the youth. And um, so I read it all, and it was really, truly horrible. Some of the accounts of the trek were really awful. And I live in Colorado, so we actually take the actual trail that they took. Mm. So I'm reading these stories, and I it was devastating. I don't think I knew some of the details of what actually happened. And then to hear, like, when we kids, when we were on the trek and you hear their testimonies, they were like, they were bearing testimonies of experiences that they were like, oh, we know what the trek was like, that everybody just pulled together and helped each other and never left anyone behind. That is not what happened. Many people were left behind. Mm-hmm. Many, and they never should have been out there to begin with. I just, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe the actual history It in regards to how they portray it on the trek. Yeah. And then at the end of the trek, we ended up in this huge, gorgeous, luxurious visitor center. We went through the whole thing, and I'm like, this feels very commercial to me right now. You know, it felt like it was separate from the whole message of the trek to me. Yeah, just that incongruency of, wait a minute, this is what we're teaching yeah. our youth, but that's not necessarily accurate. Yeah. Hmm. So how long after that, from when, when you talked about going through a faith crisis and your son being on his mission, was it pretty close together from that experience with Trek or? It was several years. Um, I had one son on a mission during that and my oldest son. And then um, I, I have a, a sister who's homosexual. And so earlier from then, I, I never liked that. I've always equated how the church treats homosexuals to the way that the church treated blacks. Mm-hmm. And I've hated it. I've always hated it. And so all of that compounded. I didn't like how, how I was then treated as a woman, you know, because everything started to just kind of tumble. I mean, people talk about it all the time, their shelf being broke or go, mm-hmm. going down a rabbit hole. You know, it's just like once you start looking, and you see it, you really can't unsee it. And I think once I read the CES letter, I, I I just couldn't go back. Yeah. So what was the timeline like for you then? So things started kind of unraveling and then you read the CES letter because were you just kind of looking to really understand more? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was. And the CES letter lays it out in such a manner of fact way. Mm-hmm. And they give footnotes and sources. And really, in the age of the internet, I mean, I'm 47 years old, so I didn't have access to that information as I was growing up a member of the church. And now yeah. we have access to all of it. Mm-hmm. And I love information. And once I started getting it, I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't get enough. Yeah. And then I started reading up about polygamy and the history of that and how all of that went down with Joseph Smith and the, you know, the prophets after that. And it just, it all just came it all just came tumbling down. I felt deceived. I felt angry. And it's like when I first went through it, I, I was like determined to keep it to myself, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to tell my husband this. I, uh, I'm never going to tell my husband this. And I didn't last 24 hours before I had to tell him. So, yeah, that would be hard. Really open about it. How was your husband when you communicated that with him? Uh, he was scared at first. Like, what's going to happen to our eternal family? You know, like what happens to our temple marriage and those covenants? And I'm like, 
I don't really think that makes a difference. Like, we're married for all the reasons that we need to be. We're a family. Like, that doesn't take anything away from that. Yeah. And he did kind of see it that way. And the more I talked to him, I think the only part he struggled with was when I would talk to him about um, how it felt to be a woman. And he Mm. would get defensive because it felt like I was saying he treated me that way. Mm-hmm. Really, it's not that at all. So I think Dave, hearing that, you know, he's coming from a position of privilege in the church and that, that the men do kind of oppress the woman, it was it was really hard for him to hear. Yeah. Oh, man, I I bet. And I, I know, especially when I interview um, people that have been married for a long time and in the religion for a long time, that is one of the hardest parts that I come upon with most couples with the one spouse, you know, communicating to the other, I don't know what I think about this anymore. And that, would you say that that, what has been the hardest part with you with stepping and leaning into, you know what, this isn't in congruency for me anymore. And the unraveling, what's been the hardest part for you in that journey? Well, I would say in the beginning, it was just me personally, you know, just having this foundation that I've depended on and believed in my whole life just kind of ripped out from under me and starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get discouraged because the church teaches you for so long that if you feel that discouragement and you feel that darkness, it's 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 Satan trying to yeah. you astray. And it's hard to get away from kind of that indoctrination of if you're confused, if you're if you're not feeling right, it's it's temptation and you know, go back to the light. So that there was that, but now I would say the hardest part is family. My family on both sides of our family, we have huge true believing Mormon families and and it's been hard. Yeah, I can imagine. So how long has it been since you've stepped out or that you've come public with we're done? Well, I um my son got married in the temple two years ago and we attended that. Mm-hmm. And we had gone through a lot with our state president to kind of work through that and be there for that. And then after that, we just decided we weren't going to go anymore. And then I just barely removed my records probably mm-hmm. two months ago. But my husband's records are still in there. But as a family, we are all out except for one son. I have one oh, son really? very in the temple and he's still in with his wife. So I guess you could say we're a blended family, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's been interesting. It's been, you know, it's been challenging at times, but we just, we've always been so open. That was the son that was on his mission when I was going through my faith crisis. And I was open with it the whole time he was out there. Oh, really? Yeah. I think just being open and just communicating and trying to feel like everybody can say what they feel and have it not be held against them. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? As far as when you were going through your faith crisis, your son's on his mission. So when you guys are communicating, you're telling him that you're not quite sure what you think anymore or how, what did that look like? Well, I was, I had, you know, I, I had a relationship with him before he left, like a really great one. We talked all the time and he was home with me for six months before he left. So I was really used to just telling him how I felt. And we talked all the time about how he felt about going on a mission. And, and so I already had that with him. So I would bring up things and he actually went to his mission president and was like, Hey, you know, my mom's really struggling and I think it would really help her 
if I could call her and talk through some of the thing, these things, you know, because that was before they could call us, you know, mm-hmm. like right before that that thing came out that that we could call them on two days. And his mission president said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And that was really hard for him. And yeah. I didn't know about it until after his mission, but it was good. I mean, I it was good to talk through things with him. And that way, when he came home, it wasn't such a, a big shock. He knew exactly where I was. And we could kind of talk through it some more. So, And, and this, this is the son that's still in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. That's, he just visited because he was here for New Year's. And I, I think we talked for hours, hours mm. about how he feels and how I feel. Because I think he's really, he's really conscious about how I perceive him now. Like he doesn't want to see, he needs to see all of the bad things that I see about the church in him. So it's a lot of him trying to reassure me that <laughs> the things that I feel are negative about the church, he's not, you know, that he's not perpetuating in that. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's a little bit of a flip dynamic from what yeah. most people go through with worrying about the other side. Okay. Now I'm not Mormon. Don't judge me. <laughs> That's my, my family. Yeah. So you <laughs> get that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I get that from my family. Well, what an interesting and a unique perspective to have perspective to have then where you get to hold your son and just honoring him with what he's choosing and then kind of asking your family to do the same, even though, you know, everyone reacts differently. And usually in my experience, it's a fear-based reaction, right? It's you're now stepping out of the fold, which this is what we believe. And we've always believed. And now you're no longer a part of the family and it wrecks rocks their foundation. So then it, a lot of the comments or the actions come from that place of fear instead of love, which seems super yeah. hypocritical um, yeah. and ironic. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned I something. I, I do, I'm sorry. I do. No, have, I'm good. Like I, I, I mentioned that I struggle with my side of my family, but I do have very supportive sisters. My oh, that's sisters so good. Are, like, there are seven girls in my family. Oh, wow. <laughs> most of my girls, most of the girls, my sisters, like five, there's five of us in a row and, you know, they, they're my best friends. So oh. no matter what I say or choose or do, they're, they're there with me. So that's been great. Oh, that is amazing. That's really, really beautiful. Um, you said something, oh, something I wanted to touch on was when you're communicating how it is, it's an interesting paradox that happens within the Mormon religion. And, and I try to be really careful because I really want this podcast to be that uplifting place, but there is some areas where it is helpful to have awareness as far as how this religion operates. And from a very young age, we are conditioned that when we have temptations or we have darkness, it's Satan. And that's that immediate connection and God and and Mormonism is light and feels lighter and airy. And, and there's a very clear in how they teach it, very clear distinction. However, then we get to go move through life and that it's not so clear sometimes and gets really muddled. So then what you were talking about with starting to have your shelf, too many things on your shelf and it breaking in this, you know, your, your foundation being ripped out from underneath you, it is that natural place of our subconscious mind. It's like, Oh, this is Satan. You know, there's something wrong with me or, and I don't know if you wouldn't mind speaking more to that as far as the process that you went through, because 
there is a darkness that comes in with that. Yes. Yes. It's, it is, it's all consuming. It's like when you're going through it, I remember I like, you know, my husband came home one day and he's like, like, do you ever not think about this? And I was like, no, no, this is consuming my life right now, you know? And when it feels ripped away, you know, each little part is taken away and you're left like, what do I have left? What, what do I have left? And you just have to start from scratch and choose. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's so scary. You're just like, how do I trust myself to figure this out? But then you do. And then the choosing of it feels so much more comfortable to you. You choose the things. Instead of feeling uncomfortable and kind of trying to explain it away and be like, I don't like how this feels, but I know the church is true and I'm just going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Like being like, I don't like how this feels. I don't have to choose it and I can choose something else. And that has felt the best. Just like learning to trust myself Mm -hmm. as a woman, as a person, as a mother, as a wife, you know, as a friend, as a sister. It's been amazing. Yeah. How did you learn to trust yourself? Because that's usually one of the hardest parts for people. Therapy, therapy, podcast, book, learning. Mm -hmm you know, talking to people, my sisters, my friends. And yeah, it takes time and you have to be vulnerable because to talk about it, you have to, like, it feels unsafe because you have to figure out the people who are safe. Mm -hmm. And there are several people, you know, you start within the church, kind of start saying little things and see what people think about that. And you're like, okay, you agree with me on that. Okay. You're like testing the water. Yeah. Yeah. So the more you kind of get back up on like, okay, I'm not the only one that feels this way. It's not just me. You start to be like, okay, well, how else do I feel? And, and, you know, how can, how can I live more authentically to myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you had mentioned as you were going through your faith crisis that you had an awful experience is, was it with your Bishop, with the stake president? What? Both. It was so bad. It was so bad. Like it was trying to get, um, my temple recommend renewed and I had decided before I went in that I was going to answer these questions honestly, you know, and I was going to like, like I had done a lot of soul searching about it. And so when I went into the Bishop and he asked me those questions and, you know, I think it was, it might've been like, you know, do do you affiliate with any anti-Mormon? And I'm like, well, I have strong feelings about the, and the, homosexual, the homosexual community, and I, I advocate for them, and I feel strongly about it, and so I do that. And I think there was, oh, there was the question, do you sustain the general authorities of the church? And I said, yes, I do. And then I said, I don't agree with everything that they say, but I sustain them as general authorities of the church. And my bishop was like, okay, I don't know if he knew what to do with that, but he signed it and sent me on to the stake president. But when I kind of did the same thing with the stake president, he was not having that. He just was like, he just kept asking me questions and I would tell him and I was like, listen, I struggle with these things. And it was very, it was very much like a you're wrong situation. Like at one point I said, you know, I don't like how we treat the women in this church. And I started to kind of tell him why. And he was like, 
he said, we treat the women better than any organization. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You know, but at that moment, I was like, I can't, I'm not talking to him anymore. Like, he's yeah. not hearing me. He doesn't want to hear me. And at that point, he wouldn't sign me simple recommend. And my son was getting married in four months. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a very real possibility that I might not be at my own son's wedding. Hmm. And at that point, I kind of had to be like, I just had to question myself, you know, like at that point, I felt this, the worst sense of powerlessness. Like I have no power. Like this is my life. Hmm. This is a significant event in my family's life. And this man is going to tell me I can't be there. And I just, that was really hard for me. And I had to, I had to work to get it back. You know, I had to work with that state president to get my temple recommend back so I could go to the temple and be at that wedding. But that just started like this, <laughs> this stone in my heart of just like, I can't believe you did that to me. You know, like the temple is the place I should be working through this stuff. Like mm-hmm. people like should be in the temple to figure this stuff out. If this is how they feel, that's where they need to be. That's mm-hmm. how I felt at that time. And I just couldn't believe because the last question on the temple recommend is, do you feel worthy to um, enter the temple of the Lord? Yeah. And I did. And, and like my husband has always told me, like those, the bishops, the state presidents, they're the mouthpiece for the Lord. They're not, they, they don't get to judge you. You get to judge you. And so it was, that was really hard for me. And then it just, it just continued for the next two years until I just decided mm. to walk away altogether. Yeah, I think that piece that you spoke to about feeling powerless over yeah. your life was that's yeah. a huge awareness. And that would be very uh, challenging to navigate through, especially when you yeah. feel like I'm, I feel worthy to be there and I have questions. And am I not allowed to ask questions and yeah. say, you yeah. know what, just just because they're, you know, general authorities does not mean that everything that comes out of their mouth is. No, they've said that. They've come out and said, you know, we're men, we're fallible. But mm-hmm. then if you say that, if that's not allowed. And even like I even sent my state president the top by, um, I think it was Elder Christopherson that said, you don't have to agree with everything the general authorities say. You know, you yeah. can disagree with this and still be a worthy member and still go to the temple. And I sent that to him and he just, he didn't care. Mm, so it was really frustrating and then at the end of it I was like oh my gosh what am I going to do and then I thought this is my choice like I have a choice here and it doesn't feel like a choice when your whole world is Mormon and it feels like you'd be leaving that world but ultimately that choice having that choice feels better than having no power at all yeah oh I think that's beautiful awareness yeah we have a choice in everything that we create Really. Yeah. And at the end of it, it was so nice to come full circle because I met with my state president because once I wanted to resign, he was very keen to meet with me. <laughs> How and funny. So, yeah. And so I was like, Dave was like, you don't have to do that. Like, there's nothing. You don't need to go back in and talk to him. And I was like, I want to. I've literally never had a voice in this church. And for once, he has no power over me. Mm-hmm. I can say whatever I want to him. And we are equal. You know, we're peers. He's the same age as me. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to talk like that. And it felt so great to sit in that room as equals and be like, you know, 
I get to say what I want to you. I get to say the truth to you. And it doesn't really matter what you say back to me. Yeah. And that felt good. It felt good. Oh, my truth. I prepared a 15-minute statement, and I read it, and it felt really great. Oh, how did he receive it? He was like, he was like, I, I understand, and I'd love to talk through that with you. I'll meet with you whenever you want. And I was like, I don't ever want to meet with you again. Like, what mm-hmm. about our past interactions makes you feel like I would ever put myself in that position again? <laughs> You have not shown yourself as someone that loves us and wants yeah. us to be here and wants to listen and work through our issues. Like, mm. I was here two years ago to do that, and you took my temple recommend away. So, yeah. you know, that time has passed. That ship has sailed. And he was like, okay, well, you know, if you ever change your mind. And, and I was like, well, he was like, I just want you to understand the grave, you know, consequences of your actions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't see the consequences. I don't see that there are any consequences. If by some miracle, I think that this is all true one day, I can get rebaptized and get it all back again. I literally feel like I'm losing nothing. So it's interesting when you have a different perspective of all those scary, like you said, it's Mm fear-based. When when those things are not scary to lose anymore, it's, it's amazing. It's freeing. And that is the thing that most people don't realize is fear is the reason why systems create fear is for control. You know, if you're too afraid to do something, you're a lot easier to be manipulated. And, and it is see that you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. So what did make you decide to get your records removed? Cause I know that's a big decision. It is. It is. I just, I kept getting emails, I kept getting texts from the ward, I kept getting calls from the missionaries. Like, as soon as I said I wanted to resign, I, I just got inundated with phone calls. But before that, it was just, it was, I wanted to stop having the involvement. I wanted to stop being involved altogether. And I wanted them to stop thinking that I was inactive and they needed to keep getting me back. I just wanted to be out. And then also I wanted, I wanted my name off those records. I mm-hmm. wanted my name not to be affiliated with that organization ever. Mm-hmm. And I remember I saw a post one time that said, um, I just found out that my sisters were trying, you know, were fighting over who was going to rebaptize me after I died. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I sent a text to my whole family. And I'm like, I just want all of you to know right now, none of you are going to rebaptize me. You know, like I just, I don't know why I just feel adamant about not having my name there. So that's just a personal feeling. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is funny. The whole rebaptizing thing. In fact, I (laughs) I was just having a conversation with someone. Oh, I think it was yesterday about that piece where she, you know, the sister was Mormon. The other, the other sister wasn't. And she's talking about how she was sealing their parents together, which Anyway, and the sister said, why on earth would you do that? Like they were, they had a horrible relationship. And she said to her, why, why would you care if you don't even believe in this? And it was an interesting, um, again, there's so many paradoxes within this system, because on the one hand, if we don't believe in it, then why does it matter? But on the other hand, it's that freedom of choice of you're stepping in, in my experience, 
with the Mormon religion, it works in realms that are the unseeable realms. And so when they do that, it actually does create these interesting connections. And without having permission, it's so out of integrity for me and so out of alignment. Again, in everything that you've been sharing, it seems like there was so much, it was just out of, it was incongruent. This doesn't make sense. And that's another piece of, it's really fascinating that they take it upon themselves to trump themselves above everything else, that this is the only true church, that even when people are dead, I'm going to give them the choice, but they've already created this proxy, you know, baptisms, whatever ceilings. Yeah. It's really condescending if you think about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I didn't really know, you didn't know yourself as well as I do. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to know you better than you did. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's very condescending. Well, there, you know, and I remember this very well. I mean, all the teachings that we had was, oh man, if I die and so-and-so is going to, Susie's going to come up to me and she's going to say, why didn't you try and bring me back to the fold? And she'd be so upset as if we don't have choice still in the afterlife. And, you know, I understand it. And again, it's that fear base and, and it's also so purpose-driven with we're family, 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 and getting a physical body and, and doing this eternal perspective thing. So of course we're going to do work for the dead and have that be of service. Um, And so it's just really fascinating to kind of have that 360 degree view per se of this religion and how it's been created and this. Yeah, it is a paradox. Like they Mm -hmm. say, you know, oh, they can do that work when they're dead, but it's very important for us to do that work for them. You know, so what is it? Do we have the choice after we're dead or do we have to do it for them here? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I feel like we have all these people spending hours in the temple doing this work for the dead. And I don't feel like they put that same time helping the living. Like Mm -hmm. all those hours that we spend in the temple helping the dead who may or may not even want it. What are we doing to help the living now? That was another thing I had such a problem with. We're like Mm -hmm. pushing temple work. Go to the temple. Go to the temple. Go to the temple. Well, what are we doing for people at the temple, really? Well, I've noticed in my personal relationships, because a lot of my family members are still very active, and I see such a huge difference. My mom being one of those, when she was actively working in the temple versus not, her and my relationship was a lot harder when she was working through in the temple. And I, it's like, it is, I think it's just because of this, we go from love and accepting everyone and having a little bit of a perspective shift, I guess, to I'm just focusing. This is my purpose. This is what I'm here to do. This is my, you know, one track. And I can't even deal with you over here because you're not choosing the same thing. It's always been really fascinating to, to kind of notice. In fact, anyway, it's just, it's a really interesting dynamic yeah. and there are paradoxes all over, all over. Yeah. And how do we navigate it? And I think that's where you've shared so beautifully, like you, you've received a lot of truth for yourself and asking a lot of those questions and, and anyway, it's, it's beautiful to hear your story of how you navigated it. Nope. This feels like I'm going to go sit in front of my state president because I want a voice and I want that power back. And so good for you. Thank you. Yeah. I think it was a lot, like, I I don't know if you've noticed or how much you listen to the church, what the church says lately, but there was a talk given by Russell and Nelson, and he focused 
like to me, what I heard was it was about truth, you know, and what he said was, you know, we focus a lot on personal revelation in our church, personal revelation. We all have the gift of personal revelation. So he's like, I encourage all of you to get this personal revelation. But then he was like, we're the prophets. The prophets speak the truth. So you go out and you find that truth. And I'm like, you've already just told us our answer. And you've just told us it's the truth. So if we get a different answer, that's not true. And it feels like, so we don't get personal revelation. We just get a backup of your revelation. And once I did feel like I had that personal revelation, which took a long time for me. It took a long time for me to feel like I got answers to my prayers. And, and it was telling me something different than what the church was telling me or the church was teaching or the church wanted to do. I just felt like it, it just crumbled it down even more. Yeah. Once you feel like you are getting that personal revelation, you just don't feel like you need to listen to that anymore. Well, you can receive personal revelation, but only if it's within this context of this box that we're providing you. And then within this, you can, yeah, yeah, that's safe. Yeah. Yeah, That is funny. Well, and I think, and I, I believe from what I've heard, they've taken this out, but you know, as women bow their head and say yes to the husbands, the husbands hearken to the Lord. You know, we, women don't even have direct ability to communicate and receive revelation from the Lord. Yeah, and we don't have any power and authority without our husband and his priesthood power. Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. A lot of this is it's, it's comical now. And I'm grateful that I have that perspective. Um, and when you're newly leaving, stepping out of this, it's very infuriating because you start understanding the power plays that are just stacked one upon another, even from going all the way back our programming from zero is that we carry for our entire lives is from the ages of zero to nine. And you go back and you listen to the primary hymns and the hymns that you sing when you're at such a young age and the conditioning, the programming that's going in, you know, follow the prophet or the Holy ghost, you know, he'll don't lead us, don't lead astray, that kind of stuff so that is so conditioned. And, and speaking of hymns, I remember when I started leaving, when I was a kid, I used to always sing, I'm a child of God, if I would get afraid, because that's what I had learned. If I start feeling afraid that Satan coming in, I'll sing, I am a child of God. And that will help, you know, bring my, the spirit in. And so when I was leaving my subconscious mind started naturally doing that because I started feeling, you start feeling nervous and the shadowy aspects coming in and it would piss me off. And it took a while to kind of get that that conditioning out and just starting like, Oh, we don't do that anymore. Or even the recited prayers, right. And the heads of heavenly father, it's like, Whoa, I don't even pray like that anymore. Where is this coming from? It's like, well, it's been conditioned and it takes time to unravel all of that conditioning. And it's a lot. It is. It is a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I'm watching my kids do it just alongside with me and it's, it's hard to know that I'm the one that did that conditioning, you know, Mm. especially because I thought, you know, I thought I was teaching love. I thought I was teaching acceptance. I thought I was teaching, you know, non-judgment. And to know that my kids are having to unlearn those messages from me, it's hard. And it's hard to not kind of try to blame that on the church to feel like, 
you know, I was doing what I thought was best, which is what mm-hmm. my mom always tells me now. But, but I think it's still okay to admit I did what I thought was best, but it was still harmful. It was harmful, and I just tried to really give them, you know, just I give them the space to heal from it, you know, and just be like, yeah. I did it. I did a lot of that to you, and that's okay if you blame me. <laughs> It's okay. I did my best, but you know, I hopefully just know that they know that I did my best and that I love them. Well, it sounds like they do because a lot of <laughs> most parents have a hard time doing what you're doing. So kudos to you. I just want to celebrate that with hard. Well, and I think too, in fact, I just um had a session with a client before this, and there was a parent aspect that came in and one of the pieces that is so helpful for us to remember with our parents and even as parents, we do the best with what we have at the time. And then as it shifts, we do the best that we have with what we know now. And we're, I mean, all of us as human beings are doing that exact thing. And some have really shitty things as far as what they're doing, because that's what they know. And it is, that's just what it is. And as we grow and evolve, then it shifts and, you know, we get to heal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I do think it's interesting, like, I, it's hard, because when they come at you, you know, and they're like, well, you did this, and you're like, I was doing the best I can, it's easy to get defensive and just say mm-hmm. that, but I think it's so important, the apology, you know, they yeah. do need to hear the apology, because mm-hmm. I am sorry, I am so yeah. sorry, and I think that, I think that makes a big difference. Oh, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's that what the word, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is that radical ownership that even if it's like, uh, yeah, you know what? I wish I was better. And yes, it's a tendency that I was doing the best that I could. And yep. I totally did that. I was crappy and yeah. you know, I've had my moments as a mother that I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Kiddos. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I'm curious for you, what was the part that really made you feel like, yes, I want to share my story. And this is the part that I really feel like I want to communicate to others that are going through their faith transitions. I feel like I got the courage to, you know, reply to your Facebook post is that other people have helped me so much in my journey. I mean, Instagram accounts and just people that have gone through the same thing as me and just hearing my own feelings and my own beliefs and my own reactions echoed in somebody else feels so, you know, it's validating. It just is. And so I thought if other people's voice and other people's feelings and journeys have helped me, maybe my could help anybody else. Yeah. Well, and it's that beautiful reminder that we're not alone when we start hearing other, you know, other people's stories of, oh my gosh, especially with your experiences with having a missionary out. I mean, that's so unique. And I, I know there's so many people that will resonate or are struggling with that because I know personally some friends, yeah, that stay, keep staying in or become more Mormon and ignore their stuff because now they have a child out. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do with that? My, my, first son came home at the same time my second son went out and mm. I I hadn't shared with him like he was like my true believer I was really scared about coming out to him and I sat down with him and he was just 
so loving and so accepting. And he was mm. like, well, I trust you, Mom, you know. And so I do think, and that that was a challenge, you know. You're like, how do I stay close to this family, you know, if they choose yeah. this? And that's especially true with my second son, you know. I got I, I have to find a way to stay close with his kids and his family despite all of that. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, they will feel close with us too. Hard. Yeah, but it sounds like because you're being open and transparent, it's making it a little easier. Amanda, I don't even know if I know how to not be transparent. <laughs> 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 <It's a> problem. Uh, <laughs> I don't go through anything without bringing my kids with me. <laughs> I personally, I think that is extremely healthy in my well, experience. I, that's my arena. You know, like I talked to my therapist when like all of this was going on and all of, you know, 2020 was kind of crazy with everything. And I was like, I want to know, how do I speak up? How do I like help? And my therapist was like, you show up in your arena, which is my family, my kids. I can make yeah. a difference in what I teach my kids and, and what the conversations that we have. Cause I'm not like a really, I don't post a lot. I don't put a lot out there that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big protester, but I can teach my kids correctly. I can tell them the right way. And so I do think that as a mom, a Mormon mom, that kind of is my only arena right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only arena I've ever had. That's the only arena they ever told me was important. So, so as you, well, as you navigate, so you have your two sons. Do you have more kids, I assume? Yeah, I have. My, my two older sons, I've got four boys and one girl. Oh. And so my two older sons are married. And then I have a daughter who's 21, but not married. And then two more sons. And my daughter actually was instrumental in, in mm. kind of leading me almost because, I don't know, I think these kids, they have a lot of, they weren't, they weren't raised with the prejudices we had and the biases. So their perspectives are so much fresher and cleaner to me. So my daughter led me a lot. She, you know, brought up a lot of things like, well, why do you think that way, mom? And well, do you think that this could be wrong? And we kind of did it together. And she was mm-hmm. so brave. She spoke up in her seminary class and kind of got sent to the back of the room. And, <laughs> and, you know, that kind of led her, you know, she tried to, she tried to question in her arena and seminary and, and she just got shut down, and that mm. just led her. And she actually ended up going on a um, – she's a dancer, and so she chose a, a Christian church dance mission to do mm. over in Europe for the summer, and she loved it. And it was kind nice. of like like not leaving religion altogether, still mm-hmm. having that Christian aspect of serving, mm-hmm. but taking away all the Mormon-specific to it and it really yeah. helped her a lot to see that she could still have a relationship with God and mm-hmm. be spiritual and not have it be within the Mormon religion. Hmm. Yeah, she she was a big she was a a big component in that. And then my two younger sons, I mean my youngest is fifteen. So mm-hmm. I don't really care a lot about it right now. So right now my focus with him is like I I don't care where you land, but I need you to be thinking about it. I want you to have some kind of relationship with spirituality, with mm-hmm. 
whatever God, the divine, whatever you feel like it is, but I feel like it's important for our our souls, our spirits mm-hmm. to feel that connection. Wherever you get it, nature, church, whatever. I just want him to work on it. And, you know, he's 15, so he does the best he can. <laughs> but my 18-year-old, he's done it himself, you know. He's taken him on his own journey, and he's figured it out, you know, within our discussions and his own beliefs and his own, you know, kind of the things that stick out to him. So I feel like we're all on individual journey, but together. So Oh, that's beautiful. Well, and really the connection that we have with God, source, whatever you want to call it should be individual and unique because it is, you know, your relationship with your kids, every single one is different. So to expect, you know, I think it's, that's awesome that you're doing that. So what have you, when you've shifted out of religion, where have you felt like you've kind of started growing roots in spirituality or do you have a connection with God? I'm assuming you do since that's something you're. I do. I do. And I, I feel like what we decided to do is once we were like, we're not going to Mormon church anymore. Like that doesn't Mm -hmm. feel good, but not doing anything on Sunday didn't really feel right either. So, like I said, my my daughter went on that that, um, that Christian mission, and so she kind of already had a feel for evangelical religion and churches, and so we kind of shopped around her here. I live in Colorado Springs, and there are on of churches. Hmm. So we kind of like just picked a Sunday, and every Sunday we or we picked a church each Sunday. And I also went on their website and looked at their mission statement, and they stayed away from anybody that said marriage is between a man and a woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I found a church that had a mission statement that was very inclusive. And that's the church we started going to every Sunday. And we loved it. We loved mm-hmm. it. It was like, at first it was weird, and we kind of had to ask ourselves, is this weird, or does it just feel weird because it's different? And then we really loved it, and we really loved it for about a year, and then we didn't anymore. We kind mm-hmm. of drifted away from that, and that's when COVID happened, so we were staying home anyway, and we are watching it on TV, and then we kind of just stopped. And as a family, we kind of analyzed it, and we kind of felt like we didn't really, we didn't need that to feel mm-hmm. spiritual and to have that relationship, and so... It was kind of a helper, and it kind of went along with my whole feeling that that churches are here for men, for us. They they are there for what we need it for, and if we need it, that's why it's there. If we don't need it, then that's awesome, too. So mm-hmm. we kind of had just been talking about it and figuring out where we land. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, what advice would you offer say I'm a friend of yours and I'm joy. I'm in the process. All this stuff's just unwinding. I feel like my world's getting pulled from beneath me. I don't know where to go. What advice would you, would you share with me? Oh gosh, gosh, I don't know. I think I would just say, I'm so sorry. I know this is so hard. It is so hard, but I think I would say, I think what helped me the most was, learn to trust yourself figure out how to trust yourself I think my whole life I was taught to trust somebody else trust my husband trust my parents trust and so I would start with that and once you can trust yourself I feel like 
you really can't go wrong because you're always in alignment with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that, now that I say it, it sounds kind of basic, trust yourself. But I think it's but that, a really important thing. Yeah, it's a huge foundational piece that gets lost when people step out because the trust is associated with the Holy Ghost and receiving inspiration. And when, and we don't really, we're not, we don't understand that, or there's not that connection quite yet, but that is one of the pieces that when we leave our intuition also subconsciously goes to, and it's like, crap, the Holy Ghost is gone. So now I don't have my indicator if, and which is not true. It's just, you know, old programming. So it's a beautiful, a beautiful piece with trusting. That's I'm, I think, um, I don't know if you've caught onto this, but I'm writing a book that's leaving religion. It's kind of a workbook, but that is one of the foundational pieces that in my personal client practice, 98% of people do not know how to trust themselves when they leave religion. So I think it's perfect. Absolutely. And perfect. I, yeah. It's, it's a practice. I can't, I'm not perfect at it. I have to, you know, try and fail all the time because it's hard to trust yourself. Yeah. You second, you second guess yourself all the time. And because I do, I feel all the time, but, yeah. but it does feel so much better. It's this place feels better to me, even though it's hard with my family. It's hard with mm. Dave's family, but this feels better to me. Yeah. Would you say that as you've gone through this shift, the relationship that you have with God, how is that? If you had to put that into words, how has that shifted? I would say it's evolving. It's like, at first, you know, you kind of go, well, I'm leaving the church, but of course I believe in God. Everything that the church says God is, you believe in that, you know, you're just like, I don't believe that God would would send me to this church. And then you kind of start questioning all of those aspects about God. And and I listen to a lot of books, you know, history books about Jesus and about the, you know, the nature of God. And you kind of are like, well, I don't know. It's, it's scary to talk about this on a podcast. But <laughs> just share what you're comfortable with. Okay, but I just, I guess I... I guess now has been the only time in my life that I thought of God as more of an idea mm-hmm. than like, you know, as like God, a creator, the divine, you know, it's more of like an idea or a feeling or a presence or something. And I do like to cling to the idea of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. That mm-hmm. feels comfortable to me. But when I really think about it, I do. I really think about it. You know, sometimes I chuck it all out and I just think, what if I'm wrong about all of that? So I guess I would say it's evolving, always mm-hmm. evolving. I'm listening and learning and then re rethinking and thinking again. And so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess I feel when I, I feel like I can still pray. And I think it was Glennon Doyle that decided that when she prayed, someone asked her, aren't you just praying to yourself? And she's like, maybe, but that's fine too. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of how I feel, you know, like I'm praying to myself or to God, but whether, you know, if it helps me, it doesn't really matter, you know, to just find the divine in yourself and be like, it helps me trust myself. Yeah. So I guess it all comes back to that trusting yourself. Yeah. Beautiful. What books 
especially when you're talking about God or Jesus were really helpful. Was there any that was like, oh, I would highly recommend this book? You asked me at, okay, the right time. I just read the best one. Maybe everybody's read it, but Sue Monk Kid. It's called The Book of Longing. And oh, yeah. it is a book. It's a it's historical fiction about Jesus if he was non-magical. You know, mm. like he w- had a literal family and a literal wife and, you know, was a shepherd and a carpenter and did all these jobs and a fisherman. And it was kind of like his life. But non-magically, you know, they didn't assign all the miracles and he was just Jesus as a man that was following God. And mm-hmm. he was all those things and he did all of those things. But, and, and it was, it was given from the perspective of his fictional wife. So it was a woman's perspective and mm-hmm. it was fascinating, fascinating just to see, to hear all those same characters brought in. And it is historical fiction. So there's a lot of, you know, license taken, but at the end, I listened to her notes, and she's very thorough about her research, and so things like that, you know, things that just, that just challenge my, my belief, my current beliefs, you know, and just, just say, what if, what if, and then just go from there. Yeah. So that one I really loved, but when Mm -hmm. I was in the church, it was more, um, they were more by, nuanced members of the church and, you know, people who had just left. But now I really just want to just look at it independently from all angles, really. Yeah. And take the church out of it and look at it. Well, and I, um, how do I phrase this? One of the, I mean, I've read a lot of different books on, and a lot of them are channeled or they're, they're fiction. And it's like that truth piece is subjective. So then anything that we read and really anything that we read, we get to take what resonates. And even with the book of Mormon, it was a channeled book in a sense, because this is something, you know, when we go through Joseph Smith and that story, what, what part of it you want to take in with you it's channeled. And when I say channeled, it's information that's coming from spirit, right? It's receiving revelation. And then this comes into a book. And so a lot of the books that I've read that I've loved the most are channeled. And so it is that, okay, it challenges my, oh, this is interesting. But one of the pieces that I feel like that does get misconstrued so often is this magical being that came onto the planet. And really Jesus was human. He was born Yahshua ben Joseph and was later Christed. So he had to go through certain things. He wasn't in my belief and what I've read, he was not perfect out the gate and was very human and went through a lot of things that, that we've gone through. And granted, he probably had a lot more knowing um, than we do. And that part of his mission here on earth was to help raise the vibration and raise some awareness. But yeah, this, the magical being of, of Christ is an interesting piece in the virgin birth and that he never had a wife. It's like, really he's human. Yeah. He's a man. Yeah. So more than likely, if you're going to be human, you're going to experience all the experiences. Yeah, so, it makes so much more sense to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, is there anything else you would like to share before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. You've been lovely to talk to, and thank you, you for letting me just, you know, go everywhere and say everything. That's been really nice. Thank you. Well, I really, again, I just honor you with saying yes and having the courage to share your story because I know it will help. 
help others. So, well, thank well, you okay. so much. I do yes. Oh, well, perfect. I say anything, there are, you know, you have a couple of solid friends and your sister, you know, you have your people. And I think you cannot overstate the importance enough of those people because you need people. Yeah. And, and you have to have people that you trust to be vulnerable with if you're going to mm-hmm. go through this. You know, it's not, it can't always be your husband. You've got to have women, friends, sisters that will just love you through it and just sit mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. So, well, and I think that brings up a really interesting point because a lot of people do feel alone and think they yeah. have to go through it alone. And I know this keeps popping into my mind when I was sharing with my mom and my sister-in-law before I was going to do this podcast because they're active Mormon. Um, my sister-in-law shared something with me that was a little surprising. She just had said that she had a friend that started opening up to her about the challenges that she was going through. And my sister-in-law said it was a really beautiful awareness for her to recognize and acknowledge how hard it was for her to even communicate that and how it feels very alone and how people feel like they can't communicate. And there are, yeah, there are people that will still choose to stay in and will still love you through your process and to be, to be open to finding those people to have in your circle. I think, yeah, I think that's a huge piece. I would agree. Oh, perfect. And know who they are and know I love them so much. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, and the fact that you had a therapist you could talk to, I think that's helpful. Find somebody to work with, whether it's a therapist or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Joy. I so appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful. Wasn't that a beautiful, another beautiful episode with another beautiful human being. And again, if you are feeling the call to share your story, please reach out. You can message me through social media, um, through my website. You can contact me there. But if you are feeling that call within and you'll know, you know, you know, if I'm talking to you right now, because you're feeling that little, your heart's racing a little bit quicker and you are feeling the call to speak and to share your voice and to share your story. And if this is you, reach out to me. This is a really beautiful healing process for all of us. And it's a beautiful reminder that we are not alone. And one story, someone's story can help and make an impact on so many people. So I was really, truly grateful that Joy leaned into this and said yes, because her story was very powerful and had a lot of really beautiful information and wisdom that I am sure all of you received something from. Again, just a reminder, head over to my website and make sure you are subscribed to my email list. If you are interested in the retreat, snag your room today, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash unbind. And as always, a beautiful reminder that you are not alone. If you're feeling really, really alone right now, please reach out to someone. Even if it's a therapist, even whoever it is, reach out. Having that connection and conversation is always helpful and healing. So wherever you are today in your journey, I just want to honor you and I want to send you so much love. You have got this.